This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Hewitt. Coming up, history beckons as Moana prepare to play their first Super Rugby home game in the Pacific. This cannot be a one-off game. This has to be the beginning of a continual participation of Moana Pacifica being on the ground and in due course. The Pacific will become our permanent home for all of our games. Fears that rugby is chewing up athletics talent in Fiji and in far north Queensland, the Hawks AFL coach takes a like to his new recruit from Vanuatu. He had three bounces and ran into an open goal, kicked the goal and did some really good things. So already the growth from one game to the next game has been significant and he's someone that's got a bit of potential. Who knows where he can end up. We'll hear more from an underhawks coach, Wayne Siegman, about to Mark Niermark later in the programme. First, though, the long-running standoff between the Kaivete Silktails and the Fijian National Rugby League has taken an unexpected twist after the government stepped in. The FNRL was threatening to withdraw its approval for the Silktails' remaining six home matches in the Ron Massey Cup, but the Fiji Times printing claims that the Silktails had breached their memorandum of understanding with the ruling body. But after an impromptu meeting with the Sports Minister Jesse Sakuru and Sports Commission Chief Executive Peter Maisie, the FNRL has been told to give the Silktails the approvals they need or face sanctions. The Silktails CEO Steve Driscoll says the accusations made by the FNRL in the Times article were outrageous and the club is relieved that the threat of their home games being cancelled has been lifted. We received communication under the direction of the Minister of Youth and Sports, the Permanent Secretary and Peter Maisie from the Sports Commission that the directive they've been given is that all remaining seven home games are to go ahead in Fiji. And that in itself must come as an enormous relief to the club because uh, clearly without this situation being where we are now, that there was a risk, I guess, that games would be called off. That was a surprise to us that they'd gone down this road. I know there were some issues around broadcast. The last club's meeting we were sent the wrong day to attend. So there's just been confusion and, to be frank, some levels of incompetence from the other end that have got us to that part. But the whole cancelling of games, as well as the article that was come out in the paper, to be honest, it was just a flat-out cheap shot. The article that appeared in the Fiji Times earlier this week, various allegations contained in there that the Silktails were in breach with the FNRL. I mean, two things that stand out to me is, is one, the suggestion that the coach of the Silktails should be the Fiji Bati coach. And the other thing is the claim from the, that some of the players are being mistreated, they're not being paid properly. There was a suggestion that some were being paid in groceries rather than cash. What do you make of all that? The crazy thing in all of it was these were quotes made by the current chairman when sitting in front of the government officials and asked, had he ever spoken to any players? He said, no, he hadn't. Had he ever spoken to any coaches? He said, no, he hadn't. So what are you making comments for? And he basically said that he everything he said was in reference to issues that were raised with the first ever team, which was the pre-season of 29-2020. So that blindsided everybody. To say that we've been paying players in groceries, it's just bang out of order. And they had to sit in front of people and talk about it. And the, um, the decision's been handed down now. This is nothing new to us. We've tried so hard to work with these guys and it's blown up and in the last few days. We'll turn up and play our seven home games now. And I put numerous plans together on how a successful collaboration between the two parties will look in the future. They chose not to respond to that. The goalposts just change every time. So I think the feeling from the Fiji government is 
you know, they can't get out of bed one day and decide they're going to change their tune. We've got a team flying out, cost of New South Wales Rugby League, like $30,000 in flights. And we've got a CEO running in and out of council chamber offices, trying to cancel games and emailing clubs in Australia and telling them the games are off. I have no words to describe that behaviour. So if we look at the situation as it stands now, it would appear that the club has security in terms of the remaining home games being played in Fiji this season. But also, I would suggest because of what's happened, are you now anticipating an overhaul of the FNRL, pretty much similar to what's happening with the Fiji Rugby Union? I don't know what the intentions are around them going through the FNRL. They clearly do have some of their own issues that they need to sort out. I think if there's a trend there of what the Fiji government are doing at the moment, perhaps they will go through them, but I'd be speaking out of line to do that. I want to make it clear that we're there for the betterment of rugby league. We've signed an agreement with the National Coaching Director, Wise Katavarata, to provide him all the technical support he needs so he can deliver his national development plan. We want this to work, but I think the theme is coexistence for the betterment of the sport. I've given Peter Maisie a, a really clear plan on, on how I think we can help all stakeholders in rugby league in Fiji. He's really um, receptive towards that. We're not here to compete with anybody. We're not here to make anyone look bad. We're not here to take things out of the game that shouldn't be. We're there to help to promote, foster, propagate, develop all those words that are really important to help in rugby league fulfil its potential in Fiji. Maybe it's time to, as it were, put all the political shenanigans that have gone on between yourselves and the FNRL behind us. You do have this game coming up uh, in Latoka tomorrow and obviously it's a big occasion for the, the Silt Tales, your second home game of the season and I'm sure you would love as many supporters as possible to get along to see the game against the Hills Bulls. Yeah, we would the defending premiers. We are going through a bit of a transition phase at the moment we've got our youngest squad that we've ever had in the club's short history but yeah, we're all really excited about being able to play our second game in Fiji. Tragically we lost our events manager, Linga Gukasuva, on Easter Monday night. Their company, Six Cents, look after our match days. So uh, it's been a tough week for the club dealing with Linga's passing. He's been really pivotal in guiding us, particularly around our return to Fiji this year. So we're really excited to get out in the paddock tomorrow and put all this stuff behind us, but also obviously put in a good performance for Linga and his wife, Annie, and his daughters that he's left behind. It's going to be a tough ask. We're playing against the side that were the Premiers last year, but we're all really excited about being able to finally get out and play footy and, as you called it, leave the political shenanigans behind us. Steve Driscoll, Chief Executive for the Coyote Silktails and that uh, next home game against the Bulls at Churchill Park uh, kicks off at midday local time tomorrow. Meanwhile, in the Queensland Cup, the PNG Hunters will be back in action in Cairns tomorrow when they take on Northern Pride in round five. The Hunters currently eighth on the ladder. The Pride a point ahead of them in sixth place. You're with Pacific Beats here on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewart. It's the Friday morning sporting edition and an historic day for Moana Pacifica with the team set to play their first ever home Super Rugby match in the Pacific Islands. Their game against the Queensland Reds at Apia Park in the Samoan capital kicks off at five past five local time this evening. It's been tough going for Moana so far this season with the team still searching for their first win after seven rounds, but perhaps a vocal local crowd in Samoa might just make the difference. And Chief Executive Palanato Sakalia says taking Super Rugby Pacific to the islands is what Moana Pacifica is all about. Absolutely. Being able to bring our first game into the Pacific, it's just huge. It's what we're about. We've been here since Sunday. We had an operational team that was here a week before, and it's just been an amazing experience. And in terms of 
organization. Has that been fairly smooth? Have there been one or two little hurdles to overcome along the way? I'm wondering, for for starters, where where the funding um, comes from? Well, we've had to fund it all ourselves with the support of our partners. And, you know, it's not an insignificant commitment. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of additional dollars for us. And we're only able to make that possible because of the backing of key partners like Samoa Tourism and also Digicel. And those organizations, much like we're fully aligned, just see how important it is to bring Super Rugby to the Pacific. And for them, the reason why they committed, much like ourselves, is this can't be a one-off game. This cannot be a one-off game. This has to be the beginning of a continual participation of Moana Pacifica being on the ground. And increasingly over time, in due course, the Pacific will become our permanent home for all of our games. How have you gone about working out ticket prices, which I think will be crucial, will they not, in terms of how many people attend the game? Because there have been issues in Samoa before over ticket prices, not least when the All Blacks came calling. (laughs) Yes, yes. Our our ticket pricing has been one of those key things. We sought advice on our ticket pricing and Lakapi Samoa have been so helpful in our ticket pricing and we just went to them and we said, look, we got a lot of feedback from people from Samoa about the way the All Blacks were priced and the way the Blues priced and running it from New Zealand. And and so what we did was we went to Lakapi Samoa and we said, look, we want to do something that's that's for the people. Um, and so give us some options. They presented us with two options and we went for uh, the lesser in terms of costing-wise. So, for example, general admission is 10 Samotala. 10 Samotala and everything is priced in Samotala. And so we've come in considerably less pricing-wise than anything that's been done by any other previous uh, Super Rugby teams. I'm thinking, though, that based on the experience of uh, the Fijian and Drua, you, you might not know whether you've been successful with your pricing until just before the start of the game, because Pacific fans notoriously <laughs> turn up late. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, it's... Um, uh, the thing that I've really been um, educated about here in the Pacific, it's all about the walk-up crowd, you know? So it's all about the walk-up crowd. It's not necessarily about your advanced ticket sales, but it's about the people walking up to the game. And that's a big reason why uh, the general admission has been priced aggressively, as we have. You know, Ten Samoa we've priced that aggressively because we've just factored in that there'll be a... a Um, a huge amount of people that will be looking to come on the day and we want to make it affordable. We don't want to put any impediments that makes it challenging for them to commit to coming to the game on the day. You made the point that this can't be a a one-off for Moana Pacifica. There have to be more games in Samoa. What about Tonga? How how close are you to playing a game in in Nukualofa? Well, we are committed to playing a game in Tonga and the only reason why we didn't commit to playing a game in Tonga this year was when we had to finalise our match schedule in terms of the venues last year. The field itself in Tonga wasn't in a position that it could be signed off as being SANSA compliant. But everything that we've heard to date is that the field itself is very much SANSA and World Rugby compliant. And on that basis, if that gets confirmed, we will happily commit from a scheduling point of view to a game in Tonga next year, subject to the approval of our Moana Pacifica board. And as far as the team is concerned, it's been a tough old season so far, a few near misses, but still that first win is eluding Moana Pacifica. I guess it wouldn't be a bad time to do it in Apia, would it? <laughs> uh, it would be fantastic. Without a doubt, you can just see the look in the eyes of the players. 
being in the Pacific, being in the Pacific means a lot for them. And it's not just because they're part of Moana Pacifica, but it's also because for them as individuals, their families being aligned with something that is greater than rugby, that it's about what they are, their culture, it's got significance. It's got real significance to them. And yes, results haven't gone the way uh, that they as a team and us as an organisation have wanted to. But the thing that kind of pleases us as an organisation, and we've definitely seen it this week, is just the spirit and the heart and their passion for what it is that they're doing. These things don't happen overnight, but what you do hope for is that people are doing it for the right reasons. And this week, we've been in such a privileged position for some of our players to be on their homelands, for all of us as an organisation to be in the Pacific, doing something that we've aspired to. And we just look forward to our team running out onto Opea Park for the first time in Super Rugby for a fully owned Pacific entity. Moana Pacifica's Chief Executive Palinato Sakalia on the line from Apia and good luck to the team in Samoa. This evening, meanwhile, the Fiji and Andrew are also in action tonight against the Brumbies in Canberra. The growing popularity of the team reflected, I suggest, by the fact that a charter flight from Fiji will be bringing in 400 or so Andrua supporters to watch the game live. So quite a day out for them and the Fijiana Andrua. They'll be looking to bounce back from their first ever Super W defeat at the hands of the Waratahs last weekend when they take on the force in Western Australia on Sunday. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music. From across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale. Fridays at 2pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Time to take a look at some of the stories uh, making headlines across the Pacific this morning and uh, keeping an eye on developments for us is Carl Evans. Carl, good morning to you. Morning to you, Richard. Now, first to uh, Fiji, where hardly a day goes by without some sort of significant development. And uh, the president, uh, Ratu Uliami Katanevera, he's signed off on the order to suspend the director of public prosecutions, Christopher Pride. So what's going on there? Correct. In fact, he's written to Mr. Pride personally uh, to advise him of his suspension uh, and also to inform him that a tribunal will be appointed to investigate allegations of misbehaviour against him. Now, this is reported by the uh, Fiji Village, who published a statement released by the government. That statement gave no further details of the allegation. However, immediately following the suspension, uh, Fiji's Attorney General alleged that uh, Mr. Pride spent 30 to 45 minutes uh, conversing alone with former AG. I, uh, I had Syed Kayum at the Japanese ambassador's reception uh, in full view of those present. Uh, he did that while he was in possession, allegedly, of files concerning Mr. Said Kayum and the former PM, Frank Bonimarama, hence those misconduct allegations. Uh, Mr. Pride was confronted about that, and apparently later he admitted to that mistake. Now, what's going to happen to his role in the interim? That's right. So uh, David George uh, Toganivalu, he will come in as uh, acting D- uh, acting DPP. Meanwhile, Mr. Pride will uh, hand over his fo- mobile phone and laptop this afternoon and uh, will immediately take leave. Going to be interesting to see how that one uh, plays out. Christopher Pride has made some uh, significant decisions in recent times. Now to uh, Vanuatu, where the manager of a car rental business is 
being investigated for pocketing money uh, from that business he's supposed to be managing. So what's playing out here? Yeah, that's right. So uh, the owners of this business have uh, filed a complaint with police uh, against their sales manager. So this is reported by the Vanuatu Daily Post. And uh, like you mentioned, it is a car rental service. They are based in Port Vila. However, the owners actually live in uh, in Dubai, and according to their lawyers, they haven't received a single financial report from this particular sales manager in over four years. Now, one of the owners actually visited Vanuatu over Easter to find out exactly what was going on, Richard, and uh, according to her, she found uh, absolutely no financial reports or even records uh, of cars rented. Not only that, payments were all done in cash, and uh, and some cars look to have been rented out for uh, for up to a year. So, uh, so quite the operation that this, uh, this uh, sales manager was allegedly running, if in fact it's proved to be true. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that one plays out. He's clearly been busy one way or another. Now, the business is still operating, though, is it? Somehow or not? No, no. So the office uh, has been locked uh, for now and the cars have been removed and uh, police have confirmed uh, they've commenced uh, their investigation. Okay, now to uh, sporting matters. We were just talking there about Moana Pacifica playing their uh, first game in uh, Apia. And uh, meanwhile, Australian government, who always seem to be there when a big rugby occasion happens these days, and uh, the minister, the relevant minister for the Pacific, is handing out some more money, I gather. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so a further $200,000 to uh, help uh, support Samoa's Rugby World Cup campaign. Um, and this is all part of that $20 million agreement between Australia and Samoa announced by Australian Minister of the Pacific, uh, Pat Conroy, uh, this week. So they say the figure is actually closer to around two hundred and twenty k, uh, and obviously that money will go a long way to helping uh, helping Samoa prepare for France, you know, by way of things of... Through things like training facilities, medical staff, travel, uh, all that kind of stuff, which costs money. And uh, he also actually announced an interim training facility for new police recruits uh, as well. And that will help uh, support uh, the training of Samoan police as well as uh, the prisons and correction services. Okay, well, that's uh, money I'm sure that will be welcomed by uh, Lakabee Samoa, who uh, run the game over there. And uh, yeah, nice little curtain raiser to the big game tonight with uh, Moana in action against the Queensland Reds. Pacific Beat. You're with the uh, Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewart and competitive Australian rules football for women returns to Vanuatu this weekend. For the first time since before the pandemic, six teams will battle it out over the next few weeks for a place in the grand final on June the 10th. Meanwhile in far north Queensland, as Talia Olatea reports, one of Vanuatu's leading male AFL players, Mark Niermark, has been recruited by the Manunda Hawks for the 2023 AFL Cairns season. AFL Cairns is considered by many to be the strongest regional competition in Queensland. So for Mark Niamak to secure a place with the Hawks is no mean feat for a player from the Pacific Islands. Mark arrived in Queensland as a seasonal worker, but after he took a punt with an email to Hawks coach Wayne Seekman, he was invited to take part in an intra-club pre-season game at Kazali Stadium. Yeah, it looked pretty comfortable out there. So, you know, his skills were pretty solid. Um, obviously, he'd played the game for a while back in Vanuatu, so I you know, was keen to sign him and he was very conscious given the fact that he can't train all the time because he lives at Innisfail and it's an hour drive. So by the time he finishes work and has the opportunity to drive up here and he's got to be back by 8.30 with the car that he's borrowing, makes it a little bit tricky. But I just said, mate, those players that fly in and fly out, the play games are footy, so it'd be no, no issue from my end about 
not been at training all the time and, yeah, the rest is history now. And from there, it just got better and better for Mark as he was given a chance to show what he could do in the Hawks' senior team. And Coach Siegman says the Vanuatu player has added a unique ingredient to the squad. Then they had two practice games, so we just played him straight in the seniors, um, throwing him in the deep end and uh, we played North Cairns and he was, he was okay. He sort of he got the footy a couple of times, but he can clearly show that trying to get used to the pace of the game and the physicality and the structures in football that he might not have been used to before caught him out a little bit. Then the second week he played again, played him in the seniors again, gives him another chance and he kicked the goal against South Cairns. He had three bounces and ran into an open goal, kicked the goal and did some really good things. So already the growth from one game to the next game to his third game has been significant and you know, he, you know he's someone that's got a bit of potential that you know who knows where he can end up. It's a very promising start to a semi-professional career for the man from Vanuatu. And where there's one talent player, Wayne Siegman says, there's likely to be more. Knowing that he's been one of the better players for Vanuatu, you don't really know what that looks like. But, you know, when you see him out there and thrown in the deep end, he, he didn't look out of place, which is really good to see and shows you that some of these island teams, some of the better players might have opportunities to play in competition like, like Cairns where it's, becoming a little bit more advanced in your local community clubs in different parts of Australia that you know might lend a bit of a pathway that people want to come and play a bit of footy and have a working visa for a six-month period to do both things. And now that the connection has been established between Cairns and Vanuatu, there's a good chance that a delegation from the Hawks will visit the country at some point in the future. You need to get sponsors on board and the right people on board. It might not be taking the whole team over, but in the future there might be a chance to take one or two over to go over there to do some clinics, to explore some talent and see who else might be interested in in making a move um, in the future. But obviously these are only really small steps and, you know, I'm only four months into the job myself, so you never say never, but certainly you've got to look at different opportunities and avenues where you can look into future talent come into play in a competition that's growing very quickly. Meanwhile, back in Vanuatu, the AFL scene for women is growing momentum. A group of teams came together in Port Vila under the watchful eye of AFL Vanuatu program manager Nancy Patterson, and she was really impressed with the speed at which the players picked up the game. When we just started uh, the game, it was like most of the teams, they haven't had training and just like a little bit fight another field and um, they just know nothing. But at least we give them training before the games. And then later on during the quarters of the game, we were happy to see that now they were not scared to tackle and they learned the rules and... In the second game, they were improving. It was very good. Melanie Manu is co-captain of the Grand Hotel team and she says it's no easy feat getting to grips with the AFL game. It's a little bit hard, uh, like tackling and all the things, but I think if we learn more, we can go through. We have training every Monday and Wednesday, so there are many of them that are interested. So I told them to come on the training. So there are lots of people that are interested on AFL. So maybe we have more girls. Right now, the 18-a-side game is largely out of reach simply because there just aren't enough players yet. But Melanie Manu says at her club, numbers are growing. At the moment, at Grand Hotel, we have uh, 15, I think 15 players already. But they said we play only for nine aside. So we have 15 already. So they still come, they're still interesting. So maybe, I think, just, I think this week or next week, we will complete for the team. At the moment, those teams are ready to compete. 
And we're just running like a nine-a-side game because it's the start of the competition. So as soon as we have the teams taking more players, then we will start to play the full game, like 18 players. The women's competition will be launched with two matches and then there'll be two more each week until the grand final opponents are decided. And after waiting for so long, Nancy Patterson, as you can imagine, is very keen to get started. Yes. I'm so excited about that because um, for four years now we haven't had this competition. It's because of the COVID and the challenges of the field. But now that we find somewhere to be paced at and uh, play our competition, it's good to get games back. And the boys were there too yesterday and, uh, you know, they were excited to have the competitions also. Nancy Patterson, AFL Program Manager in Vanuatu. Uh, good to see that the male players are uh, taking interest in what the female players are up to and uh, definitely AFL on the rise in that country. And the reporter there was Talia Olatia. Pacific Beat. Now, a past Olympian, still Fiji's national record holder in the decathlon and a vastly experienced coach, Albert Miller, is concerned that in his country the sport of athletics is under threat. He argues that track and field is being undermined by what he describes as a surge in support for rugby by the state, by advertisers and sponsors, and even by sports administrators in schools. Right now, Albert believes the writing is on the wall for athletics when it comes to attracting talented students into the sport, and more particularly when it comes to keeping them in the sport once their school days are over. So what needs to be done if Fiji is to hang on to its best runners, throwers and jumpers in the future? Albert Miller joins us now on the line from Suva. Albert, good morning to you. Welcome to Pacific Beach. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So you're quoted as saying you've never seen your sport under as much pressure as it is now. I mean, how would you characterise that pressure? What impact is it having on athletics in Fiji? Uh, well, just uh, for an example, uh, you know, at the moment we we are really struggling to find uh, uh, sprinters in, uh, for for the women women sprinters, and uh, and you know it's probably going to get worse uh, with the popularity of uh, especially rugby sevens, and now we have uh, a rugby league where women are also taking part. Uh, it seems to be the priority of of the schools and. Uh, and uh, uh, nationally, so uh, so really we are we are under threat in that aspect. You know, like I said, we're really struggling to find uh, good sprinters because whatever sprinters that we produce uh, are normally taken up by uh, you know uh, rugby sevens in in particular. Uh, now we have a very successful fifteens uh, team in the rugby union. So again, that's another avenue for them. Uh, to, to basically take our athletes and, and use them uh, in the teams. But it's a bit of a hit-and-miss affair, isn't it, for, for, for rugby? I mean, if, if they see a young woman or a young man who shows promise as a sprinter and they think, oh, we can, we can convert that person into a rugby player, um, and it may or may not work. And, and I think that the issue you're having is that, that, that some, some of these athletes will try it, and then by the time they might think that they're not going to make it as a rugby player, it's really too late for them as an athlete. Yeah, definitely. It's something that we're, we're trying to get, uh, especially the parents and, and the sports administrators to understand, is leave them with athletics. Uh, you know, when they get into their, you know, early 20s and, you know, if they want to go into rugby where, where we know they're strong enough and they're capable enough to withstand all the all the pressures of, you know, playing uh, the sport of rugby, 
uh, you know, uh, all the best to you. Uh, so uh, an example, we we, uh, we had a very good sprinter. Uh, he, he decided to go and try rugby and he got injured. You know, he was out for a year. And uh, and some of them think, oh, I can go and try rugby, you know, but unfortunately, majority of them come back injured. So, you know, that's our main concern. And, and it takes a while to to rehab these athletes uh, at uh, basically our expense because rugby doesn't want to take ownership of of the liability of uh, injured athletes. One of the things I've noticed that you've suggested is that perhaps uh, the sport of rugby, and I guess we're mainly talking here about rugby union and rugby sevens, is, is they should be developing their own athletes uh, rather than, as it were, grabbing somebody else's who are halfway through the process. Well, that's, that's always the easiest thing to do. Eh? You grab somebody who's already got the speed and uh, and capabilities. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're such a small country, you know, sooner or later we're going to run into these people somewhere down the street. But I think it needs to be a concerted effort between, you know, the different sports. Uh, you know, some some sort of agreement needs to come in. Like I said, you know, we we can use them. Uh, yeah. uh, we can train them up to early early twenties, or you know, uh, and so on. And then from there on, you know, if they want to go into rugby, uh, more phys- physically capable, or even mentally or psychologically capable, then you know, uh, all the best to them. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, uh, half of them. Uh, it's it's a nightmare when you watch some of the rugby games, you know. You can tell they're not physically capable and, and you know what's going to happen at the end of the day. They're going to end up getting injured. And really nobody's taking uh, taking ownership to that. Is it always the, the sprinters that attract the attention or, or might someone who, for example, is in the throwing events um, be taken by rugby as well? Because clearly somebody in that kind of sport, I think, has the potential physical presence to, to work well as a rugby forward. Oh, de- definitely. I think it's across the board, and uh, and uh, yeah, we've seen that happen. E- even some of our athletes who ended up in the U.S. Uh, ended up playing rugby for some American club. Uh, so you know, it's it's you know, like I said, it's an ongoing battle, and you know, we need to come up with something. It's it's not that uh, rugby is struggling to find the bodies or the the, the athletes. It's just uh, you know easy pickings when when they know these athletes have been through uh, a form of uh, uh, training. Uh, I wonder if we may have a one step oh, ahead. No. Yeah. Sorry, Albert. We thought we just lost the line there briefly. Uh, do continue. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Like I said, uh, you know, it's always easy to pick somebody who's already been coached for a number of years in in track and field, rather than you know starting from scratch. So what do you think needs to be done to, 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 as it were, protect your sport? I mean, are are you genuinely concerned that athletics, which Fiji has done pretty well at over the years in the Pacific Games, for example, that that the country could be going backwards unless there's some kind of intervention? Yeah, I think that there's several things that we can do. We can uh, strengthen our... Because we've got a Fiji University Sports Association which looks at uh, basically... Athletes after high school, sort of in between collegiate uh, level uh, athletes, I think we need to strengthen that or uh, really go down to the to, uh, because I mean that's, unfortunately we, we're dealing with a with a sport like say rugby or rugby league or it doesn't matter which uh, where 
you know, it's become a, a livelihood for, for the athletes. And, you know, power to them if they can do that. But, you know, like I said, majority of them don't make it. And uh, when they come back, they're damaged goods in, in the sense that they're, you know, they're injured. Uh, but I think uh, something really needs to be done, you know, where people are talking together and so that there is a, a form of sharing between, you know, the sports. Uh, because we'll never win because, you know, we just don't have the money to to pay for scholarship, even though we have a number of athletes that are on scholarship in the U.S. Uh, rather than that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a losing battle. And, you know, we, we just uh, have the fear of developing somebody to, to a certain level of, of fitness or ability. Then before you know it, they're gone, you know, because of the of, uh, uh, you know, opportunities they have in, in especially rugby. Albert, thank you very much indeed for uh, explaining it all to us and joining us on Pacific Beat this morning. It's going to be interesting to see how that little problem in Fiji yeah. plays out. But uh, best of luck with it and thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Vinaka. Bye. Albert Miller there, a decathlon record holder still in Fiji, past Olympian, very experienced coach and clearly very concerned about the way his sport is going with the best athletes, particularly the sprinters, are being picked off by Rugby Sevens in particular. But they can't all play Rugby Sevens, so I suppose there has to be some sort of balance in there somewhere. Pacific Beat. Now, time to cast an eye over some of the sporting topics uh, sparking conversation and social media posts during the week with sports writer and moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players Facebook Forum, uh, Tia Rocco. Tia, good morning to you. Nisayandra Vinaka, good morning and Pacific greetings from East Arnhem Land, Richard. Now, the saga of the Fiji Rugby Union with uh, their annual meeting looming on April the 29th, it's a... Uh, gathering momentum day by day. And uh, I think the government has pretty much sort of laid the law down, haven't they, in, in the last few days in terms of what they want from the FRU, series of demands, uh, an audit. They want to know more about the under-20 player who sadly died. They want to know why Sevens player Napoleon Balatha's injury hasn't been properly looked after. And they want to know why the local unions have no voting power. So it, it, it's getting tough for the FRU, isn't it? Yes, Richard. Um, there is mayhem at Fiji Rugby this week with allegations and chaos headlining one of the oldest and most funded institutions in the country. I mean, it's mind-boggling what is happening at uh, the Gordon Street premises that is, um, you could say, damaging to the core. I mean, to say, Richard, what is happening here is a classic example or case study that you could use if you were studying governance in either sports management, business, or even human human resources. Um, and as you said, in the past 48 hours, Richard, a couple of things headlining, uh, which uh, the Fiji former Fiji Times sports journalist Sikeli Ngonandovu exclusively posted. And can I say, you know, Sikeli, I know personally Richard enough to say that his sources are credible and coming from within Fiji Rugby itself and was published on social media in the Fiji Rugby Players Forum and the Fiji Rugby Coaches Forum, which include as you said, you know, the Fiji Sports Commission has uh, ceased or withheld uh, grants to the Rugby House until there are mechanisms in place that demonstrate good governance. Uh, no funds will be released until all audited financial accounts are submitted for the current uh, financial year. 
And we can deduce that from this, that the financial state of Fiji rugby is in crisis mode, Richard. And it's alleged uh, that the national coaches also haven't been paid, including Golings, fully the Fijiana Sevens coach, Fijian and Draw coach, Inok um, uh, and the Flying Fijians coach, Seravakula and Seramayambai. And this also includes player allowances, Richard, that are delayed, which is, as you can imagine, um, going to impact on family livelihoods. Um, it's also alleged, Richard, that the Fiji Sports Commission is awaiting, as you said, a detailed report on the death of this young man, um, you know, the incident which occurred in uh, late February, early March, um, while the uh, Fiji Under-20s extended squad was preparing for the World Rugby Under-20 Championships in South Africa. That's coming up in June. Uh, with regards to this issue, uh, Richard, unusually Fiji Rugby released not on their website, mind you, but a rather unusual statement via Fiji One News platforms yesterday stating uh, that, you know, following uh, a numerous uh, social media posts relating to the late Pasikali Naev or Fiji Rugby Unit would like to release the following statement. And what stands out in this statement, Richard, is highlighting that there was no post-mortem conducted on the young person to determine the actual cause of death. Richard, what baffles me about this is under the acting CEO, Silas Oravaki's watch, with all things crashing on this ship, why bother responding to social media narratives and why mention specifically regarding a post-mortem, which is a rather private matter for the Niava family, why open up a discussion that is obviously re-traumatising the Niava family and an issue that the country is still raw and upset about? Then, of course, as you said, the issue about um, Rugby Sevens, Napoleone um, Bolivar, the player, and next, why only two unions in Know, which we discussed previously on this show, uh, which we now know uh, that there are six unions instead of two who are now compliant for the Fiji uh, Rugby AGM, which we, as you mentioned, uh, we all know will be on the 29th of April. And hey, lastly... Oh, uh, sorry, I was, just, I was just going to ask you about the unions, but make your last point. Yeah, lastly, uh, the Fiji uh, Sports Commission needs an explanation as to why Fiji Rugby has been deregistered as a charitable trust, Richard. So it's a series, a series of very clear demands there, effectively from government via the Sports Commission. But on, on this question of, of the member unions, um, we've talked often about the fact there are only two eligible to vote. You're now saying that six are, are going to be eligible to vote. But interestingly, one of the original two, which is Suva, the biggest, they've come out and said they want the board out. And I, and I think the feeling was that Suva were, were pro the old regime. So clearly they're having second thoughts now. Yes, and this is good news to a lot of the Fiji fans where uh, Suva has come out quite strongly to say that they do, uh, and specifically they've named that they uh, wanted four board members out of the current board, which is uh, fantastic. So um, I think a lot of things are happening um, far in between, um, and, and I think there's more to come this weekend. Uh, as we all know that, uh, you know, the AGM is delayed till the 29th of April, Richard, and I'm also told um, that loads of stories are far in between yet to still come in this space this week. Weekend. Yes, I feel like this is the cup that keeps on giving, isn't it? So um, let's have, have a look at something a little bit more positive. I mean, that may end up being positive after April the 29th, but Moana Pacifica playing their first ever game in the Pacific Islands in, in Apia later today. I mean, 
Moana are having a terrible time. Let's face it, they haven't won a game yet. But the fact that they're there, they're in Apia, they've been visiting the local schools, people are all very excited for this game. They're talking about a 20,000 crowd. I mean, this is what we've wanted to see for so long, isn't it? A Pacifica team in the Pacific revving everybody up. And uh, it's it's got to be good for the game, hasn't it? And particularly for Moana themselves. Yes, most definitely, Richard. The Moana Pacifica chair, uh, Savae, to Michael Jones, said that finally our dream to play on Salmon soil will come true, and it's been their ambition from the very start to bring the competition uh, to the home nations, and they will make history today. I think it's wonderful that Super Rugby Pacific, as well as the Super W, is taking games to the Pacific. They trialled and tested it in Suva and have seen how crowds responded, Richard, how player morale has shifted including excellence in performance you know Richard there was a time and a place whereby playing with visitors meant that we were wallet now we can confidently say bring it to our house bring it to our valet and we are more than capable of hosting but we can give you a very unique experience that is not only about being in the tropics mind you with crazy temperatures but we can also give you an experience of what it's like when we win and how crazy we can be in the midst of our victories, let alone our elation and heartfelt joy, Richard. Yeah, it's going to be a great day. And if they can pull off that first win against the, the Queensland Reds, that would uh, absolutely be the icing on the cake. Now, um, a, a word on uh, Fijiana and Drua that they finally lost uh, last week uh, quite heavily uh, to the Waratahs. And I think al- already people are, are gunning for them, saying there's, there's cracks there and there's this and there's that. I mean, they've lost one game. Um, I mean, you're not concerned, I'm guessing, that the Fijiana no. won't bounce back. Definitely not. I think it brings an interesting and exciting dynamics to the Super uh, Super W uh, competition and looking forward to seeing what will happen in Perth this weekend. No doubt there will be fans out there to support um, the team and really uh, excited about this um, season, Richard. Yep, onwards and upwards uh, for the Fijiana. They play uh, in Western Australia uh, this weekend, so making it hard for them. That'll be their longest trip, but hopefully they they will bounce back. Uh, Tira, as always, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and we await further developments from the FIU. Great to be here, as always. Thank you, Richard. Tia Rocco there, who uh, has a lot of inside knowledge about the world of sport in the Pacific. That's why she appears regularly on the programme, uh, the moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players Facebook Forum and the Fiji Rugby Coaches Forum too. Well worth checking out because there's some interesting conversations that take place a little bit above the average kind of social media comments if you follow my lead. Uh, should just mention that there's a futsal tournament going on in Fiji at the moment so being played in Suba. This is the Melanesian Futsal Cup. Solomon Islands, New Caledonia, Fiji, Vanuatu are the teams involved. Um, Solomon Islands, of course, are the team that have flown the flag for Oceania at the Futsal World Cup for the last three World Cups in a row, and they're rather hoping they might do it again this year under their new coach, the Englishman Damon Shaw. We spoke to Damon on the show a couple of weeks ago about uh, what he was looking forward to and the task ahead. He mentioned this particular tournament, and um, so far so good, because day one, Solomon Islands uh, beat New Caledonia by five goals to three, and day two, uh, Solomon Islands were trailing 4-3 to Vanuatu at one point, but eventually won the game by five goals to four. The winning goal, I think, coming in in the last uh, 15 or so seconds of the match and so Solomon Islands would look well set uh, for the grand final to be played uh, over the weekend the other results have seen Fiji draw 2-2 with Vanuatu and then uh, they defeated New Caledonia by six goals to three so 
if Fiji were to lose to Solomons to, later today and Vanuatu were to beat New Caledonia, then I guess it will be down to goal difference as to whether it's Vanuatu or Fiji who joins Solomon Islands in the final. Clearly, if uh, Fiji lose to the Solomons, or rather if uh, Vanuatu lose to New Caledonia, that will be that. It will be Fiji versus Solomons. But uh, Damon Short, Englishman making a great start and impressed with the facilities that they have in Suva. Brand new facilities in Aniara as well for Solomon Islands to play their home games. So it's looking good for futsal in the region and um, it will be interesting to see how that t- tournament plays out with the grand final due on Sunday. And that's it from this edition, the Friday sporting edition of Pacific Beat. I'm Richard Hewitt. The afternoon edition of Pacific Beat will be along at 5 past 3 PNG time this afternoon. Then we're back on Monday morning at 5 past 6 again at PNG time. Hope you can join us then. Have a great sporting weekend.